the QMC Board and Collar Series for EMS Professionals welcomes you to Excuse My Medic, the podcast version of an MCI with Gary Harvat, Chuck Humphrey, and Ed Marasco. Excuse My Medic takes a unique look at today's emergency medical service with news and information, opinionated discussions, lively talk, sporadic jabs, and even a few belly laughs from our world of emergency medical services. Excuse My Medic is brought to you by Quick Med Claims, a national leader in emergency medical service revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, hang on to the bench seat and tighten your lap belt as these old guys from EMS Past take you on a Code 3 ride without touching the brakes. You've had the disclaimer, and if you're still brave enough to stick it out, let's get started. Take it away, guys. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Excuse My Medic. My name is Gary Harvat, and I'm joined by my two esteemed colleagues today, Chuck Humphrey from Danville, Pennsylvania, and Ed Marasco, who is joining us from Hilton Head, South Carolina. Is that correct, Ed? It is, G. It is. Hey, how are you today? Doing well. How's things been with you guys? We haven't connected now probably for... My goodness, five or six months. I know getting all of us together is sometimes, it's probably sometimes easier to get an audience with the Pope than getting the three of us together. So it's good to be with each of you again. And I think we're going to have some fun today as well. Chuck, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. You know, I've been out and about visiting uh, folks in the field. I've had a couple of trade shows, uh, was in Connecticut and the fine folks up there. Great, uh, really good event. Be back in person and uh then last week, I uh, was down at the Virginia EMS Symposium, which was well attended. It was good to see everybody there. And I'm heading to Vital Signs in uh, Saratoga Springs, New York. And then that will close out my trade show circuit for the last uh, several weeks. But it's been good seeing everybody in person. We were so bottled up and uh, all of the shows that we're used to and getting out and seeing uh, uh, weren't able to pull things off, so it was nice to see everybody in person. Yeah, true. Yeah, boy, Chuck, you're right about that. It was good to be good, good to be live for a change. Uh, you know, we were at EMS Expo a couple weeks back, and then of course the Air Medical Transport Conference last week. Gary, sure was nice to see some live humans, wasn't it? It really was, Ed. And I, I, I was speaking to a group this morning at a meeting, and I was stating, you know, to me it was actually very therapeutic to be out there having face-to-face conversations with our clients and friends. And, you know, I mean, the Zoom thing has served us well. Don't get me wrong. Thank goodness for Zoom. But on the other hand, boy, there's nothing better than sitting down. I had a an opportunity at our booth before the conference even began. One of our... Um, our friends came up and sat in one of our director's chair and we had like a 20 or 30 minute conversation just about life in general. And I thought, my gosh, this is so refreshing as opposed to let's get the meeting started. And, you know, we're on Zoom type thing. Yeah, and I just really I, I miss that. And, you know, I think we can all relate to that because we're all pretty much people persons um, that, you know, we're all kind of Zoom fatigued by this point in time. And uh, it's really nice to be out there and especially you know, with the EMS groups who have worked so hard and tirelessly in the trenches over the past, I, I think I've been saying 18 months for the past three months, so it's more probably like 20 months or so now. But, um, you know, again, we thank them every time we're on, but but even more so now because um, they have really, really sacrificed themselves to help uh, so many others in the past year plus. 
Yeah. Well, you know, these shows are where you, you obtain your continuing education. And I think every one of us can attest to the fact that doing a live class with a great instructor is a whole lot better than watching that TV screen. So uh, I can tell that, you know, just the folks you talk to, the, the attitude of gratitude to be able to walk about and interact with their peers it meant a lot. So it was good to see. Yeah, no question about yeah. it at all. Um, Chuck, is there anything anything at all that might be new f- to you, for you, in addition to just the trade shows? Oh, uh, you I had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, aren't you doing some renovation or something at the house? Isn't that? Yes, <laughs> yes I'm doing some renovation, and then I'm going to move my brand-new bride into that home. So um, a whirlwind, a wonderful friendship turned into a wonderful romance and a whirlwind proposal. And uh, November 20th, I'm going to tie the knot, as they say. And uh, it's a pretty cool story. I wish I had time to tell all, but uh, we're getting married on a rock next to a reservoir in the middle of a state park in November in Pennsylvania. Don't ask. There's some significance to that, but it uh, it's very meaningful, and we're uh, we're having a lot of fun. So uh, well, that's my good. new bride, Brenda, would probably kill me if she heard me uh, talking about this, but no, she, she would enjoy that. Well, so, uh, surely, yeah. Chuck, she's a frequent visitor to our podcast, is she not? I would think. <laughs> I mean, she is. Yes, yes. She's starting to learn that uh, that uh, the guy that she's marrying can talk a good talk. Um, I, I feel that my best sales job was uh, asking her to marry me and convincing her to do that. That's scary. I know for you guys, but somehow I got that across to her. <laughs> well, that's that's great. And I'm sure November 20th on a rock in a state park, the weather will probably be just beautiful. Balmy, so, one might say. Balmy. Balmy, yes. Balmy <laughs> yeah. for sure. So Here, well, Chuck, here's one for you. That was the <laughs> champagne popping. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Uh, that's for sure he is a wonderful person and uh so i am i'm blessed gentlemen and uh uh you know what dating at 60 turned out to be pretty good well that's good for you bad for me and ed um (laughs) we're not doing any dating at 60 trust me um (laughs) (laughs) i can assure you of that well now gentlemen i know you guys you date your wives every single day so don't tell me that that's true chuck way to to save this conversation way to go i appreciate that for sure so well at our house we're having you know we've got thanksgiving coming up uh, just a few days after your wedding chuck and of course uh We've already begun cleaning at the Harvat house. Uh, um, this started long ago. This started well before the Halloween uh, time frame goes. We, you know, I still don't understand what the purpose is of running the vacuum under my bed. First off, nobody's coming into our bedroom, and surely nobody who comes in, if they would come in, is looking under the bed. But I can assure you, it is clean. There's not a single dust bunny down there. Not a single one. So, uh, will there be mashed potatoes? There will be mashed potatoes, of course. You can't have Thanksgiving at the Harvat house without mashed potatoes. No question. For those about listeners, that. Gary's all-time favorite food is mashed potatoes. So um, you, you can rest assured that there will be copious amount of the white fluffy stuff in the Harvard house, household. <laughs> oh my. So, Ed, where are you Thanksgiving-ing it this year? Oh, we're, we're Thanksgiving at the house in Pittsburgh. It's going to be a small crowd. Just a few of the cousins, the, the boys are all uh, going to be in various other locations. But, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And I must tell you, I've started to clean as well. Uh, the boss has me, uh, has me with a bit, pretty big list. 
and uh, I, I can't hardly uh, can't hardly complain because as we say all the time, uh, I'm blessed as well. I outkicked the coverage, as they say. Yes. And uh, anything Joyce wants, I'm, I'm happy to do. Well, Chuck's getting married. We're running the vacuum. Sounds, yep. sounds, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, I had a text roll up from one of my buddies and said, welcome to the club. And I said, what's that? The happy guys club? He said, no, the marrying up club. I said, gee, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also good. It's good to be reconnected with everybody here today. And thanks again, uh, gents, for joining in. Um, kind of just uh, digressed here, just a little more serious note. We've got a lot of things happening in the industry right now. Um, and my goodness, a lot has transpired since we last got together. And, and one of the things is, of course, this new surprise um, billing legislation, which I, I don't know about uh, you two gentlemen, but I almost get questions on it daily anymore. Everybody, uh, both the ground folks are nervous about it and the air folks, of course, are very nervous about it. But, Ed, you've kind of been on the inside track with this. I um, wonder if you could just kind of summarize where we are with this right now for our listeners today. Yeah, gee, exactly. And boy, it has been a nightmare. And, you know, being at the Air Medical Transport Conference uh, last week, uh, there was a lot of buzz about it and lots of questions. And I think that the takeaway for me right now is uh, there are plenty more questions than answers. But just to recap, so the No Surprises Act was passed uh, late last year, early this year. And the, the objective of the exercise was to really eliminate surprise medical bills for patients. And for those of you who uh, may not be uh, paying too much attention to this, I can't believe anybody would be uh, in that position these days. But the idea is that if you happen to be um, a patient and you're out of network um, and you go and um, receive uh, medical care, uh, your provider is going to send a bill to your insurance carrier and the insurance carrier is going to pay a number and then you're responsible for the balance of that number up to the full charges when you're out of network uh when you go to see an out of network provider and the, and the problem here is a lot of patients don't really realize when they're in network and out of network and i'll give you a great personal example here in the last couple of weeks i had to have one of those old guy procedures and i uh, elected to have it at a surgery center as opposed to at the local hospital and my physician was in network, but the surgery center where I went, because he operates, uh, does the procedure in two different places, was not. So I ended up with a fairly hefty out-of-network balance bill, and I had no idea, and I'm a relatively educated consumer on these things. So um, the goal of the legislation was to eliminate those circumstances for emergency-type services and, and actually lots of elective services, too. We're going to focus for our discussion today here just on the transport part of this. And so um, the legislation came out, uh, the regulatory process got underway. The, the real challenge here is that um, our inability to balance bill patients begins on January 1 of 2022. And for uh, the government, and there are three agencies involved in putting the regulations together, for them to do that in such a short order, uh, we're talking about you know, nine, 10 months, is almost unheard of. And so along those lines, back on July 13th, there was an interim final rule published, and that was dealt primarily with um, the, the initial part of the No Surprises Act, which addressed things like the, our inability to balance bill and limiting out-of-pocket costs to consumers. And then on September 10th, there was a notice of proposed rulemaking, which dealt with the reporting requirements for air medical services and some other disclosure requirements that are part of the act as well. 
Now you notice I said interim final rule and notice to proposed rulemaking. Two different approaches. The IFR is kind of a shortcut. It doesn't provide a lot of comment and a lot of input from the general public, whereas an, an NPRM or notice of proposed rulemaking is really designed to encourage feedback um, and commentary on the part of the public and other interested parties. Um, and then again on September 30th, another interim final rule, and this one was really important. It related to the second piece of the NSA and uh, covers such things as the independent dispute resolution process. So if we have a debate about what we get paid from a payer and we want to argue that, ultimately there's now a provision in place for uh, an independent arbiter to take up the case and make a decision about what we should be paid. So lots of challenges around those things. Things. Um, in fact, we're to the point now where many healthcare entities are considering, and several have already filed suit against the agencies for things like overstepping the intent of the legislation and um, interpreting some elements of the act in a way that's inconsistent with what the intention was. So uh, the Air Medical Association is certainly one of those that's considering and preparing a legal action in this circumstance. So it's quite a mess at this point. Ed, just a quick question, because although this has really been focused on the air medical side, where do you think this is going to lead with the ground side? That's a question that I'm asked frequently. Yeah, I was going to ask the same thing, Gene. Yep. Yeah, and that's it's a great question, and that's one of those things that, um, you know, there's a lot of buzz about, because it, this really was not intended to deal with ground ambulance challenges. Um, you know, the big dollars, the big risk to patients really lie in things like emergency department visits and surgery and those kinds of things, uh, because those balance bills, and certainly air medical transport, those balance bills are, you know, measured in the thousands and tens of thousands, uh, whereas, you know, balance bills on the ambulance side are measured in the 50s and hundreds. And so uh, it was not the intent I believe from everything I've read, it was not the intent um, to uh, to include ground ambulance in the No Surprises Act prohibitions. But there are some folks who have read the regulations and are nervous about the fact that, um, you know, this is going to be extended to the ground ambulance world. Sure. So in essence, it's really something that both sides of the industry, the air and the ground, should keep their eyes wide open on and their ear to the ground on because things do change quickly, uh, especially when it involves um, legislation of this type. Would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. And look, one of the key things that that's come out of this, the whole evolution of the discussion around surprise medical bills and balanced billing is should providers and suppliers be in network or not? And look, that's not a decision that that your, your revenue cycle management partner like QuickMed can make for you. Um, it's one of those strategic and financial and philosophical type uh, discussions that needs to take place within your organization. A number of uh, providers and suppliers have elected to be in network because philosophically they believe that they, they're here to provide a service to the community and that they don't want there to be risk for members of the community to have unpaid and surprise medical bills. And there are others who, um, you know, look at it from a purely financial perspective. Uh, you know, they can't afford to live on what they're being offered. 
uh, when it comes to in-network rates. And then there's still a third element, which is strategic. And so if you're in a marketplace where it's very competitive and all of your competitors are in-network, there's a chance in certain circumstances where you may not be the selected provider supplier if you're not. So that's why when we advise our clients, we, we ask them to think about it on those three axes if you will, is uh, the philosophical, the financial, and the strategic to come up with a good decision about whether or not they should be in network or not. Good point. Thank you, Ed. Let's appreciate the overview on that. Um, we'll see how this all pans out. Uh, as they say, more news at 11 on this one. <laughs> Amen. Amen, for sure. Uh, Chuck, let me put you on the spot here for a minute because you've been following two subjects very closely, and I know we've talked uh, openly about this. Uh, first is the uh, new information out on repetitive uh, patient transports, and uh, it has a longer name than that, so I'll let you detail that. But uh, could you give us an update on that? And also, uh, while you're at it, also about the uh, what we just heard about a week or so about the the increase, the CMS yeah. increase. So lots of lots of wheels spinning at this point. And if you could just kind of enlighten us on both these really quickly, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. It's more like the plate spinning on that wooden dowel, and we're about to break. But nonetheless. Um, so first thing up is uh, the, we call them RISNATs, R-S-N-A-Ts, Repetitive Scheduled Non-Emergency Ambulance Transports. And uh, so let's uh, first define that because people still have a little, you know, a misunderstanding of that. So this is when a ground ambulance will transport a patient, non-emergency, not a 911 call, three times, th one each week, three consecutive weeks, or three times in a 10-day span. Whenever that happens, then special rules apply. Um, and several years ago, in fact, it was actually 2014 with implementation um, at that point in several states, mid-Atlantic states and one uh, southern state. It was Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and South Carolina, where the government decided, CMS decided, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, that they were going to demonstrate this program and say, what if we put into place a prior authorization program, which was never the case for ambulance in Medicare. So they used these states because their statistics showed that there was a large amount of improperly billed and paid ambulance claims. And most of that was centered around dialysis patients. Um, so immediately sprang into action, said, we're going to, we're going to strike these. And they did. And they caught everyone kind of by surprise. And when they rolled the program out, it was not implemented well, and it had a negative impact on many ambulance services. Now look, many of them were probably close to the line and transporting patients who were not actually medically necessary. The industry admits that. But it was a stark you know, awakening that all of a sudden you had to go for these prior offs before you could transport these patients if you wanted to get paid, and many of them were denied. And whole ambulance services in this case uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, South Carolina, went out of business. Um, later, um, about two years later, they added the District of Columbia, Maryland, North Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia, effective with January 1st, 2016. So the process is, and simple, it's, it's a little more complicated than this, but I'll boil it down, is that you submit medical records, not just a run sheet, but you submit a physician certification statement because for these trips, folks, the physician must sign off on the uh, medical necessity form. 
so it has to be by the attending physician um, who knows the patient most intimately and then other medical records. So you pull, you know, therapy notes, you pull uh, inpatient notes and you make a case to CMS that for the next 60 days, this patient is going to be transported for this reason. And you get a separate prior off for each reason. So if you have a dialysis patient, that's also a cancer sufferer, and the patient also has to go for radiation, then you would have separate authorizations for each type of usage. Um, you make a case to the government, and then they're under a time limit constraint to give you back a, a an I or a nay. Okay. So they say, yep, we're going to pay for these, reasonably pay for these for the next 60 days, or we're not going to pay for them. And so that's the program. So that has been in demonstration since 2014. And just uh, the last uh, few months, they decided that, yep, this is saving the Medicare program tons of dollars. And now we're going to roll it out to the entire nation. So there are ambulance services out there, listeners of our podcast here today out there, that are saying, oh boy, this is coming. And where it's coming is gonna be in a kind of a scheduled release. So the first group of states where ambulances are located that's going to join this program, effective December 1, are the states of Arkansas, Colorado, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas. Now you say, why did they pick those states first? Well, because the Medicare administrative contractor that covers those contiguous states is Novitas Solutions. Novitas Solutions is also the Medicare administrative contractor for the Mid-Atlantic. So they already have experience in this. So roll it out next to someone who can do it. Later in 2022, starting in February, we will add another group of states, Alabama, American Samoa Territory, California, Georgia, Guam, Hawaii, Nevada, Northern Mariana Islands, and Tennessee. This is another MAC. So now we're going to have these MACs. And I won't, so another tranche in April 1, another tranche in June 1, until the entire nation is included. Um, the four Medicare administrative contractors that have never done this program before are NGS, CGS, WPS, and Neridian. That's where the worry lies. And I'll tell you why. Because when this first rolled out, Novitas and Palmetto kind of stumbled their way through that. That's not being critical. It was just a brand new program. They had to get their sea legs. The government didn't know how this was going to affect the public. And there were actually some patients that were negatively impacted that probably needed the service. Till they figured that all out, that was a problem. But overall, the program has saved money. It has identified uh, patients now who really do need the service versus those that don't. And quite frankly, it does give the provider some level of affirmation before they go into this series of trips that they're not going to face um, a, an audit on these. So, you, you know, you pretty much know that once the MAC says, yep, we'll pay for this, there's always the possibility of an audit later on. But there is some comfort level going into this that the ambulance providers no going in that they're these, you know, because these trips, if they're dialysis, you're talking six trips a week, every other day, and, and, you know, a trip over and a trip back, you start adding that up. That's a considerable cost and time factor for the ambulance. So it is good to know going in. It's just a bit of angst over having to go through the process in order to get it done. And, and you know, uh, when this first rolled up, 
it was some people that looked to the billing companies like us and said, oh, well, you're just going to do all this. Well, no, it's a prior off. We're not involved until afterwards in billing it. So there's some education that's involved and some things we have to do on the back end, but it's a partnership between our billing clients and the billing office here at QuickMed Claims to make that happen. And we're we're well positioned for that. I'm, I'm very, very proud of our folks, how they've navigated that over the years. And we are ready because we are located right in Pennsylvania where this thing rolled out. So we have, you know, seven years of experience in doing this. So we're comfortable. Um, where I think I'm uncomfortable with this, and, and there are those out there that should be aware of this, are in those places where those Macs have no experience. Now you say, well, can't they just call their buddies at, at Novitas and, and, and Palmetto and get some notes from them? Well, yeah, they could, but here's the problem. All of these Macs compete against each other every now and then for these contracts. And some of these Macs want to muscle in to the other areas to get more business. So I don't think that Novitas and Palmetto are necessarily going to be very forthcoming with their procedures for some of these other guys because they don't want to give up the secret sauce. And I don't, I don't blame them. So if you are in any of the states other than the ones I mentioned that were in the demonstration up front, you need to be very keenly aware of this, especially if you're doing dialysis transports or you're doing a heavy load of patients who maybe even in the back of your mind are right on the borderline of being medically necessary. Because I will tell you, if there's any possibility that those patients could be transported by any other means, then you need to start making preparation in your budgeting, in your long range planning, maybe even go out and buy a couple of wheelchair vans in order to do that. And I know that's painful. And the thought of that probably makes some of you ambulance guys cringe, but when this hits and you get denied, what are you going to do with those patients who you've been transporting? What are you going to do with the loss in revenue? And I don't want to paint an ugly picture, but there's definitely going to be an impact. The reason for this program is to weed out those repetitive scheduled trips that CMS says they just don't meet medical necessity. And that means your providers are going to have to document the tar out of it. You're going to have to do some really good uh, call intake have a pre-plan before you say, yep, we'll just take them. You know, the you call, we haul days. Guys, we, later, I know on our agenda, we're going to talk a little bit about the old days. The we call, you call, we haul days are long past this when it comes to reimbursement. Neither can we afford it, nor can we expect that we're just going to submit a willy-nilly claim to the government and they're going to hand out billions of dollars. Agree. And that's really where the crux of this is. And let's face it, folks. Um, there have been some unscrupulous ambulance providers. I hate to say that, but uh, there are those out there that the bad apples ruin the barrel. And, uh, and so now they're cracking down and rightfully so. I, I, I see this from both sides. Um, I hate whenever an ambulance client of ours has to stress over the fact that they want to take a patient morally. And yet there's that thin line between, but you know what, we can't just be doling out hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars for things that aren't covered. And so this will, this will take care of that. Um, it will roll out, you know, a released, controlled release. We certainly will help our clients navigate that. Um, be aware um, and be ready because once it hits, then you're going to have to deal with it. And again, you got some work to do up front. So make sure you have the training uh, if you're not, uh, you know, one of our clients and you don't get that kind of regular direction from our people, 
make sure you're in the know. And and maybe if you're not a client, you need to give us a call. And that's a that's a cheap plug, guys. But I am uh, I am connected to sales, so we'll we'll say that um, <laughs> we'll you're say that you should heart, give right? us a call, folks. Give us a call for sure. Yeah. Chuck, that's uh just like surprise billing. That's another thing that can't fall off our radar screen. We'll all have no. to keep an eye on that target because, as I stated earlier, things can most definitely change. All right, Chuck, we got one more for you here. About the, how yeah. about this increase that we're hearing so much about? Yes. Is it real, Chuck? Or yeah, it is real. So the it's the ambulance inflation factor, and every year about this time, we know what it's going to be for the next calendar year. So just to remind everyone. Uh, this is really, to boil it down, there's a formula that involves two uh, factors. One is the consumer price index for urban consumers, or what we call the CPI-U. And that is a 12-month average of basically inflation. It's a pseudo-inflation monitor that ends in the June of the previous year and goes back 12 months. So they're looking at what the costs um, are for um, urban consumers, you say, well, why just urban and not rural? Because 80% of all the population in the United States is an urban population. So they're looking at market back basket costs of what products are uh, costing us and then factoring that in. Now, um, that isn't directly tied to inflation, but it is driven by inflation. Now, if I go back to when I started in this industry, which was basically when horse and buggies were around, gentlemen, concerning, it was, concerning. Yes, you got the increase in Medicare from just that factor. A few years ago, they added in a offset, and that is the multi-factor productivity index or the MFP, which is a 10-year rolling calculation dating back this year to January 1, 2013, uh, inclusive of the new year, which then would include 10 years. And that's kind of a correction factor. So what they're saying is, okay, we take it that there is more um, cost to things. Inflation has gone up, fuel's gone up, cost of goods have gone up, especially post-pan or pre uh, mid-pandemic, I should say. Um, I, I wish we were post. Um, but then there's that offset. Well, you've got to become more efficient. You have become more efficient. I think that's a joke, but nonetheless, because of high inflation, you know, the CPIU this year came in at uh, 5.4 and the MFP uh, wound up at 0.3. So we're seeing an ambulance inflation factor. The calculation is CPIU less the MFP and we're seeing a factor of 5.1%. Now, let's qualify that for a minute. That is not that you're going to get ambulance providers 5.1% more Medicare dollars. It's going to be approximate. However, that is actually added into a calculation for the Medicare ambulance fee schedule, the national fee schedule, that includes the geographic practice cost indices, or what we call the GPCIs or the GYPSIs, and also the relative value units, which don't really change, but it's all part of a formula. So once that's calculated, and then those GPCIs may change based on regional calculations, Calculate. again, of cost factors that change and kind of level the playing field in the uh, ambulance uh, fee schedule to take into account of 
changes in geographical costs. So if you're in a city area, you get more money than you do in a rural area because the supposition is it costs you more to hire help. You probably pay more for goods and services connected to your ambulance service. So that's why they backed that down. Now, I will say that this is the second largest increase since the Medicare ambulance fee schedule was incepted back in 2002. So that is really good news. Um, it, it is a, it's a large increase as they go. You say, well, 5% isn't very large. In, in Medicare terms, it's pretty large. Okay, so that's great. Uh, considering also that when inflation is low, sometimes we have had a small decrease in Medicare money. Lord help us if that would have happened in the middle of this pandemic, because that would have been uh, bad. So inflation's good. But you also remember, it's offset by the fact that you're paying for more. Right. So are you really getting a 5% increase in real dollars? I don't know that. Because you look at fuel. I, I, I passed today um, a gas station where diesel fuel and diesel fuel was 425 a gallon. Now, a lot of ambulances still run around with diesel fuel these days. So I, I, don't, I don't know if that's an offset. The other thing that I'll caution you is, you remember right now during this pandemic, sequestration has been off the table. They suspended that 2%, uh, which was part of a congressional act many years ago that was never supposed to hit and then hit that across the board. Once that Medicare money is allowed for fee for service, it's back down and subtracted from what you actually get. So if that goes back into effect, now your 5.1 could turn into only 3.1. Now you add that to the fact of your increased costs, and I don't know if we're any farther ahead, and that's scary, but at least I think we can say that we're not going to be any farther behind, and that's a good thing, all right? So um, the government giveth and the government taketh. Um, it is what it is, but um, it is um, at least encouraging that there is a plus factor to this and a fairly sizable plus factor as opposed to being worried about either a small increase or a negative increase. So good news, maybe not so good news. Um, I think the real test will be whether sequestration remains and they extend that. My gut will tell me they probably will because the public health emergency still is in effect and doesn't seem that that's going to be lowered at any time soon because there are still pockets of uh, surges throughout the country as these variants work their way through. But um, nonetheless, um, good news, I guess, overall. Well, that's good. Well, thank you, uh, Chuck, for those updates. And Ed, also, thank you for yours. I think that's uh, this is great information. It's something, as I mentioned earlier, we need to keep our eye on uh, as things can and probably will change. Um, so thanks again to both. What's that word we use, Gary, all throughout the PhD? Oh, my goodness. Fluid. Fluid situation. Fluid situation. So uh, speaking of fluid, I'm not feeling very fluid. I will tell you a um, funny story here. Um, last week, uh, before I was traveling, um, I got out of bed one morning, and my back was killing me for some reason. What yeah. what happens at night? You go to bed feeling fine. You, you wake up in the morning, and there's something wrong, like, what occurred in the middle of the night? So uh, I don't know. Gremlins. Uh, this is a this is a PG production. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a PG production. Yes, a G production. Anyway. Oh Lord, the visual. Yeah. Ed. Thanks. <laughs> thank, thank, thanks for joining, Ed. Really glad to have you today. Anyway, so my wife says to me, "I'm kind of 
looking like a question mark as I make my way downstairs. And she goes, she says to me, like, what's wrong with you? Like, what's wrong with your back? And the first thing that came to my mind was, uh, it was the Life Pack 4. And she looked at me and said, the the what pack? I said, the Life Pack 4. She's like, I don't know what that is. Now, my wife is not, uh, ha- have any EMS background whatsoever. She just, she knows where I came from, but... She was like, what is that life pack for? I said, Tara, in the 70s, when I was just getting into this, uh, the, our cardiac monitor defibrillator was a, an item, a product called a life pack for it. It had these big clamshells on the front that held the paddles and the scope was in there. And the darn thing, I don't remember what it weighed, but it seemed like it weighed probably 40 or 50 pounds. And I remember carting that darn thing up and down uh, stairs at homes and businesses. And it was always a real challenge when you had it connected to a patient. Somebody had to carry the monitor. In addition to moving the patient, it was challenging. And I got to thinking, I got to thinking like, oh my gosh, how this world, as far as the EMS industry goes, ha- has truly changed. And, you know, LifePak, uh, I saw a, um, a cardiac monitor, which does so much more than the LifePak Ford did um, just the other day. And, and the thing is, this is the size of like a, a, a coffee saucer. It's not very big at all anymore. And, and it does pacing and the, the, you use the defibrillation, the, everything about it. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking, my goodness, if I would have had that, I might still be, be out there. But uh, all the things that have changed, not to mention um, Chuck and Ed, you can probably relate well to the old, uh, was it the uh, Ferno Model 30? Uh, stretcher that we used to bring people out on. Yes. Uh, yep. Yeah, that was a contributory um, factor to my back and, as and well. And may too. I attest that the upcoming hernia surgery I'm going to yeah. have in 2022 was largely due to that model. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> and, and once again, you know, things have changed. Good for good for the the folks that are out there doing this now. But um, we had a demo from one of our local providers come up here one day to our corporate office. Uh, to give our new hires just a kind of an overview of the ambulance. The doggone stretcher loads itself into the ambulance. <laughs> loads right. it. Like, what yeah. has happened here? This is, it's just amazing. And then you start thinking <laughs> about all the things that have come and gone. You know, However, that but, load comes at the tune of about 30K. Yeah, right. Which will give you a heart attack in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just been so many changes. And again, most all of them are for the better. But, you know, when, when I was, I thought I was a big guy out there when I had a drug box that was filled with six bicarbs, three epis, and a couple lidocaine <laughs> injectors. So, um, you know, my goodness, things, things have surely changed. But I just thought I'd kind of talk to you guys. Um, you know, what do you guys, what do you guys remember that has, was the big, big thing at one time and then just oh, drops it, off the it, map. Invariably, when I came up, it was mass trousers. Oh, mass trousers for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everybody was giddy over mass trousers. You know, you, you had to actually pass that rite of passage by making sure that you got all those all those things just, you know, Velcroed up in the right way and one over the other. And and then, you you know, it was almost a religious experience to stand on that pump and pump them up. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not so much for me, Chuck, because during my time at the at the hospital, 
I was the guy who had to apologize to all the EMS agencies when the uh, when the the surgery residents cut them cut off. Cut them off. The <laughs> yeah. How many times did that happen? Oh, oh my goodness. Oh yeah. I used to hear. Yeah, we had to buy another set of mass trousers for XYZ ambulance because Susie. Well, went, I think went wild with uh, yeah. the scissors. The yeah. other thing is the just the uh, the the amount of ALS providers we have. You know, when I first started in a two county area now i'm in in rural i'm fairly rural northeastern pennsylvania so you guys had a different experience out in the city area but we literally had geisinger's medic 47 which covered uh, much of central pennsylvania you know i remember being on a scene for a fall victim from a roof and we were uh, we were holding stabilization for 30 minutes because the helicopter wasn't flying that day and when we were, we were waiting for 47 for pain control which was probably not the brightest thing to do now that we know what we know. But in those days, you didn't move. Yep. You know, you waited for ALS to come and they came with that lightning quick, late brown suburban. I'll never forget. And then all of a sudden now this hospital started getting a squad and that. But even in those days, the, the, the paramedics didn't ride in my area on the ambulance. So you waited on the chase trucks to come and that is completely talk about a paradigm shift. That's oh, yeah. completely absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah and then i i started to think a few other things how about the uh the uh, suction unit inside the ambulance <laughs> not the portable one but didn't that run off like the manifold of the somehow that created the suction i can't remember what it was but yes. it never worked very well at all and um, nobody wanted to use it because once you used it cleaning it was a nightmare do you, do you yeah. recall uh, that yeah. one i think it was like the rico yeah rico suction yes yes uh, <laughs> Rico I'll tell you what I saw was cool last week is when I was in Connecticut, they had a beautiful vintage Chevrolet ambulance about a uh, And what I thought was really cool is like a 67 or 68 uh, on a Bel Air chassis. And the original bill of sale was there with the itemization and the whole ambulance was like four thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, it was uh, and the guy that had it, he stopped by the booth. And um, he was passing his uh, professional car association membership certificates around. And he was telling me about the restoration and just the beaming with pride. The guy was so proud of, and he should be. I'm telling you, that was like the day that the dealer delivered that um, conversion. It was just fantastic. I, I have pictures of it. Um, I'll have to show you guys, but uh, talk about a beautiful piece of history. Uh, I was, I was giddy about it. Just looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, just one more thing I'll throw out there. I had to drive all the way from Pittsburgh to Cleveland to take a one-hour training course on the esophageal obturator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not, not, to be, not the EOA, oh, not, to no. be confused, not to be confused with the EGTA. GTA, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, you had to have the head, I'm trying to think, in a neutral position, and you just kind of greased that thing up and gave it a go and – what I don't know, like twenty or thirty cc's of air, and off you go to the races. And uh, yep. I also remember hearing, sadly, a number of horror stories about that darn thing. So that thing um, is as in some landfill somewhere or in the Smithsonian. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, I don't know that we see that much out there not anymore at all. And I think if we spent more time together, guys, I think we'd probably be able to think of a whole host of things. And uh, but you know, overall. Uh, between uh, the pre-hospital and the um, hospital community, such advances have been made. And I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, uh, 
end our conversation today with uh, I have a friend of mine. Uh, his his name is Bob, and we're just going to leave it at that. His name is Bob, and Bob just uh, is a great friend of mine. And just on Sunday, uh, received a double lung transplant. And I say this because Bob, in the three weeks he's been in the hospital, guess what he's been doing? He's been listening to our podcast. So, oh um, so Bob said to me, hey, I've listened to your podcasts, and it, it's helped me through some tough times. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, he's listening to us, helping him through tough times. But <laughs> poor man. But um, Sunday was his day, and surgery went very well. And I understand today that he is sitting up in a chair. Um, he wow. is anxious to be moved, possibly down to the next level unit. So... You know, back when we started doing this, guys, uh, that was unheard of. But they do yeah. these things in such a, a wonderful amazing. and amazing fashion, truly mm -hmm. an amazing fashion to think. Um, and, and I hope Bob won't mind saying, but, you know, uh, Bob was not doing well. Sadly, he had had a, a terrible accident at his home um, many, many mm -hmm. years ago, and his lungs suffered as a result. Uh, sadly, he, um, you know, developed uh, problems over the years and, and needed this transplant. And because of uh, one family's kindness in very, very tough times, made a decision to save multiple people, including my friend Bob. So, That's great story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great, great story, G. And, and you're right, the technology's gotten better. And boy, the awareness around organ donation. And I know we have some things we want to we want to make sure we acknowledge this week as we approach Thanksgiving and certainly Veterans Day. But right. that's something that's really important is, uh, you know, having having that gift of life by uh, being an organ donor. Yep. And you can bet that this uh, individual who uh decided him and his family decided to make or she and her family made the decision to do this probably just didn't save bob probably right. saved countless yeah. countless other yes. lives so yeah. great thing Amen. well ed you mentioned veterans day one of the things that i think is exciting uh is the push across the country to um bring in um service medics who are transitioning out of their active service directly into the EMS uh, system. I, I, I happen to think, I, you know, I don't know about you guys with a little bit of maybe um, uh, what I want to say orientation, who better to be on a rig than somebody who's been out in the, you know, in the battlefield yep. treating patients on the fly. I, I think it's such a great thing. Why we have delayed that process. I do not know, but I know that, you know, with our shortage of EMS providers, what better way than a veteran to crawl in a rig and use that experience from the, they have learned from the field uh, back here in the States. Boy, I'm excited about that. I think it's great. It's a great tie in, you know, to just thanking those guys and anybody else who's listening that has given of themselves in service. Uh, I am always in awe when I travel in out and out of airports and see these young men and women in, you know, in their full attire and um, such an honor to serve our country. And uh, uh, I think it's a great thing that we push within the EMS community to give these folks a welcome home and a place that they can land, that they can serve the rest of us. I just think it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely, Chuck. And, and actually, it's funny you say that because uh, as I got on the airplane headed down here, um, you know, last week leaving the Air Medical Transport Conference, there were ten uh, young men who were who were on their way to Paris Island, 
um, um, and and doing it with um, with enthusiasm and excitement and anticipation and you know understanding that uh, the road ahead for them was was going to be difficult and challenging but they were embracing it and when I asked that one gentleman was one young fellow was sitting next to me and I and I asked him uh, you know why and he said because this is a uh, this is a great country and it and somebody needs to be there yep. to make sure that it stays great. Yep. So exactly. um, great perspective. Yep. Yeah, I have, a, I have a nephew that just went through. Um, he's now a Marine, and I couldn't be more proud of him. And, uh, you know, and, and in Bryce's case, he's a firefighter, not too far from you guys. He's actually out in suburban Pittsburgh. And um, he went up through junior firefighter and then uh, finished his schooling and decided that he wanted to give himself uh, in service to the country. And so he went into Marines and talk about a young man who was a and I, I, Bryce if you're listening I love you bud but scrawny little guy and then he, he now you see him he's got muscles and he's ripped man, oh man <laughs> I gotta tell you <laughs> yeah that Paris Island will do that to you that's for sure no question about it so yeah all good things and many thanks to not only our EMS folks are out there but most importantly our veterans who without them we wouldn't be doing any of this so Great, great stuff. Gentlemen, thanks for taking time to join in today. Ed and Chuck, uh, I think we're doing this truly remotely today. Me here in Pittsburgh, Chuck in Danville, and Ed in South Carolina. But it's always a pleasure to get together with you, spend some time, uh, reminisce about old things, and as well as some current information out there that we hope surely enlightens our audience and to our audience uh thanks for always joining in and and downloading this podcast um for some crazy reason we get requests about this and when are you doing the next one um we do it because we love the industry we love what we do and uh and we're really just blown away by the number of downloads this little ditty of a program uh gets so we're glad to get it out there for you and tell your friends about us and if we can ever do anything to help you or you have any ideas uh, for subjects that you'd like us to speak on or convey or even have some fun with um, just feel free to always let us know so with that i will say to my colleagues ed and chuck thanks for joining me on this edition of excuse my medic or as we call it em2 Um, it's always a pleasure let's not wait so long to do it again so To all of you, uh, thanks again. We wish each of you a great Veterans Day, a great Thanksgiving ahead, a great Hanukkah and Kwanzaa, and, of course, Christmas on the right way. Who knows? My goodness, we're, we're talking about Christmas holidays already. Um, but it's happening. So, um, And I hope you get all the toys you want because a lot of the stores have empty shelves right now. So let's hope <laughs> things, things improve and uh, all those boats out in the harbor uh, come in and and fill the stores for the those people who live off of making their money during the christmas holidays we surely hope that happens for them so with that i'll say thanks again to everyone and hey be Be safe safe out out there